0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: A podcast
0: one production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about spies. <laughs> we need some of that music, Keith, yep. that spy music. Anyway, uh, it's because there has been a light shone in recent times on the very long-standing relationship between America and Britain's spying scheme and the relationship and how it first started 60 years ago and the era of Snowden and WikiLeaks. I mean, this is it, it just keeps bubbling away in the background here. So, Keith, let's start with the relationship, because Australia plays a big role in this as well. But uh, 60 years ago, America and Britain, how did it happen?
1: Yeah. So uh, during World War II, uh, a new type of spying was introduced, which was to monitor the signals or the electronic signals from one country to another. So in the old days... um, if you were working out what you're going to do in a battle, you would simply send pencil messages from one person to another on the back of a horse. So you'd have a horse rider, et cetera, doing it. As the fighting formations became larger, so and also we invented uh, telecommunications then it meant that you could actually monitor what the other side was saying. And the best example of this is Enigma in World War II, which is uh, remains, at the moment anyway, the best-kept secret of World War II. So in the 1930s, the Germans uh, developed a machine that looked like a typewriter, which would encode and decode electronic signals, uh, and
0: they would... Wasn't there a movie made about this? Oh, I love it, of course, yes. The, the Oscar-winning one. The Oscar-winning one, We'll Oscar come back to you. One. I'm that's going to Google right. it while we talk. Yes, <laughs> Enigma, yes. Enigma. Everyone's yelling at their... At their... <laughs> the name yeah, of yeah, the... Yeah, they're yelling it.
1: <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yes. That's right. So during World War II, the British and the uh, Americans pioneered listening in on radio signals from the other side. And uh, it's interesting the number of people, including a former girlfriend of mine, who were involved in this work? And nobody ever got to hear about it after the war. So they'd cracked the German codes, that's the Britain's case. The Americans had cracked the Japanese code, um, and they were able to um, uh, help their own military operations. The Germans figured
0: it's imitation game imitation by the
1: way. game. The Germans figured that the British were not listening into their radio traffic because the British couldn't be relied upon to keep a secret. <laughs> So it's interesting. So the secret was maintained throughout the whole war and then until 1972. And Group Captain F.W. Winterbottom decided to write his memoir of his involvement in this era. And so the, the book was published and he really just challenged the British government to send him to jail uh, for breaking the Official Secrets Act. But they figured, look, it's almost 30 years after the end of the war, it's pointless. And of course, since then, we've had an avalanche of books. It means basically that if you have a book written before the mid-1970s, dealing with World War II, it will have areas uh, where things are just wrong. So, for example, uh, Montgomery's memoirs in, uh, about the Battle of El Alamein, he said, look, as a result of my superior military experience, I knew intuitively how to, where to attack the Germans. Indeed, what he was getting was his secret intelligence saying the Germans are talking about this weakness in particular part with the Italians And therefore, he attacked that particular part of the line. But he couldn't put that into his memoirs. So, from the mid-1970s onwards, then we get to hear about this remarkable work which the British, the Americans and others were able to achieve. So... At the end of World War II, going back to the the world of intelligence agencies, the intelligence agencies themselves said, this has been such a fantastic thing, we should continue our cooperation. Okay, we've beaten the Germans and the Japanese, but now we've got the Soviet Union to worry about. So let's create an agreement whereby we agree to share information. We won't tell any politician because they can't be relied upon to keep secrets. So this agreement, uh, which starts originally in 1946, so 70 years old, really, in terms of the UK and um, the uh, US, then gradually has increased in size. And often we sometimes call it the UK-USA agreement. That's United Kingdom, uh, USA, Australia and New Zealand and Canada. And we sometimes call that the Five Eyes intelligence community. So this work has gone on outside of the public eye. The first hint that there was this intelligence um, cooperation was given at the time of a spy trial in the United Kingdom, Jeffrey Prime, who ironically was actually caught on paedophilia charges. Mm. And and then when the police raided the home to collect this offending material, they found the other stuff. So he'd been working for the Soviets while while working for GCHQ. So this is Government Communications Headquarters. So originally when the British established their facility, it was at Bletchley Park, which is North London. Then after the war, they moved eventually to the west of England and established GCHQ. And so he was there... Uh, and uh, he became disenchanted with the British way of life, or at least the way the British were not helping, as he saw it, underprivileged countries. So he then started spying for the Soviets. He went to jail. Was a very. Went, I, think, I think he's still alive. He'd be about 80-odd now. Uh, his trial was done in secret, so it wasn't an open trial because the British government didn't want people to know just how good their spying system is. It's an issue that we've seen come to light um, with the missing Malaysian airliner um, that a lot of us suspect that the Americans know where it is because they would attract the airliner through their own very superior uh, system of monitoring, um, but they can't reveal that information without people saying, well, we had no idea that the American spy system was so good. So let me just put it in perspective. We've got what's called human intelligence, humint, that's James Bond, right? That, that's that's the human agents. And you have ELINT, electronic intelligence. And that's what we've been talking about. I might just say that um, Ian Fleming, who was involved in intelligence during the war, um, wrote his James Bond novels as a way of reaffirming the importance of the human element of intelligence gathering at a time when we were becoming more and more besotted with electronic intelligence. But, of course, for those outside of what was going on, we had no idea that that's what he was trying to get at. Um, For example, in one of his books, I think it's from Russia with Love, he talks about the Enigma machine and the British government had to work out whether or not they would uh, try to put him in jail for talking about a Russian um, spy movie linking back into Enigma. This was at a time when no one knew about the Enigma machine, outside of the thousands of people who'd worked on Enigma. But here here was Fleming talking about an Enigma-type typewriter for encoding and decoding. And so they had to discuss whether or not they should put him in jail. All this is done behind closed doors. The ordinary person doesn't know this. Um, In the end, they just decided to to allow the novel to go ahead and, of course, it became a very successful movie. So what is interesting is that we've got these two sides of intelligence. got the human intelligence which are the agencies. In the British case, it's MI5, MI6. Uh, James Bond would have worked for MI6. And then you've got the electronic intelligence, which is Government Communications Headquarters, GCHQ. And that has more money than all of the money going into MI5 and MI6. So the future of spying much to the annoyance of the lady in Fleming the future of spying is very much listening into what goes on and of course what we're now getting are all the revelations that the big IT companies have cooperated with the national security agency in the United States and provided backdoors which enables NSA to spy on everybody in the United States or anywhere else that they want to spy on.
0: So you use a British example then. So the American example would be that the NSA, the National uh, Security, Security agency. agency, is more powerful than the FBI or the CIA.
1: Absolutely. And it also means no such agency, NSA.
0: Okay. Up until recently, oh. you couldn't even talk about it. Okay, so in... In that vein, then, America and England have always worked so closely together, and we'll be we just sort of an example, the, the machine being the main thing yep. there. What about, what's the relationship like these days? Who collaborates around the world and who, well, obviously the Russians are not part of that.
1: That's <laughs> right. So the major players are the five eyes. So that's the UK, USA, Australia, um, and the um, Canada and New Zealand. So they're the five eyes. You've also got a few other countries that come in to help out. In the case of Australia, we are very significant because at Pine Gap, which is central Australia, we have the second most important spy base in the world. So the first is in the United States itself. But when the spy satellites are encircling the globe, in the, the southern half of the globe, they are controlled from Australia. And so we get all this speculation about whether or not we would have a surprise nuclear strike on Australia and people say, oh, would they go for Sydney or Melbourne? No, the issue is, but we can't talk about it, is Central Australia. They would have to go for Pine Gap. When you destroy Pine Gap, you are blinding the Americans in one eye. But, of course, the politicians can't refer to that as an American base. So we get this fiction about it being a, a joint facility Australians are doing the gardening, I should imagine, but it's, it's an American facility, uh, but we call it a joint facility. We're not allowed to call it a US base and nor and nor do we reveal its entire importance for the United States.
0: Uh, again, so we uh, have had a conversation about this in the past, Keith, and most Australians, I would say, do not know that Pine Gap even exists, but it's strategically incredibly important to the Americans and it's right here in Australia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the reason they don't know exists because you can't fly anywhere near it and don't try to drive out that way because all of the farms are connected or the stations are interconnected. So you go through one gate, they will ring ahead and say you're coming. By the time you're getting anywhere near the base, you will have been stopped by the federal police. So what goes on there? Do we know? Well, we've had people going out there to visit. I remember Kim Beasley on one occasion went out there, but no one really knows. We're relying very much upon people uh, like the late Des Ball, who was at Australian National University, who certainly was the one who kept, got me informed on this in 1973. I learned, and in fact, it was interesting. I was at a conference that year, I sitting beside a, a Whitlam cabinet minister, listening to Des Ball, and he just turned to me and said, I had no idea that all this was going on. This is a government minister who didn't even know it was going on. And as taxpayers, all we do is simply pay for this stuff. Let me give another example of this, which is um, um, with Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden used to ring his mother every week. He was a good boy. He used to ring the mother every week. Never discussed military operations, but just ring her, reassure her that everything was okay. He was warned that the Americans could be tracking him down. He ignored that warning, and the Americans almost killed him in his cave in Afghanistan at the time of the Clinton government. So this was before 9-11, well before 9-11. And after that, he suddenly realised that, in fact, the Americans could listen to him. But where were the Americans listening? It was from Pine Gap.
0: Is that right? Pine
1: Gap was monitoring some of that spy radio traffic that was...
0: Into a little cave in Afghanistan. <laughs> Stan, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay, so Australia, Canada is still close with America as well,
1: and also New Zealand. So New Zealand has technically pulled out of ANZUS, another military agreement. It's the, um, so ANZUS is the Australian New Zealand USA defence alliance formed in the early nineteen fifties. Um, initially, as a response to a rearmed Japan, that was the great fear that we're going to have, and then of course it became an alliance against the Soviet Union and. China. And more recently, it has become the Australian explanation for why Australia gets caught in operations like Iraq, nowhere near the Pacific, which is what the the treaty covers. So, what I find fascinating is that New Zealand, um, as a result of their nuclear free policy, poured out of ANZUS 30 years ago. But the intelligence cooperation continues. So, the politicians do one thing. The intelligence agencies run with their own agenda.
0: And what about countries in Europe, for example, or uh, the Chinese now particularly because we've got a good relationship with them? So is there any sort of chance that Australia would enter into an agreement where we would spy with the Chinese? No,
1: it's the other way around. The worry is now the Chinese are going to try to spy on Australia. Of course. That's that's why, why we've ended up with this telecommunications controversy with a major Chinese company not getting any Australian government contracts Uh, precisely because people are worried about what the Chinese would do in terms of inserting back doors into the machinery, which would enable the Chinese to listen in on conversations. So China would obviously be, particularly in the bigger sweep of things which we've covered, the rise or return of China to the global scene. The Americans are very much gearing up their intelligence work against China. There's no way that we'd be allowed to cooperate with China in intelligence sharing.
0: So let's talk about another rogue regime, which is Russia. And they've yep. been very well documented some of their activities over the years. A blatant, one would say. Yep. Um, how they had very much a mantra in the 80s they had spies everywhere in America. Is it still as important to them, or do they just want to infiltrate everywhere? Or, you know, what's their. Yeah,
1: I, I think the Russians are still targeting the United States. Um, and, and and so they, remember, you're back now in Humint right? So you, these are the humans yes. who are doing the spying, which means you've got to strike up a relationship with someone who's already working for NSA or CIA or FBI, um, and then encourage them. Usually, in the case of the Americans, they do it for money. In the case of the British, they do it for free out of a sense of, you know, want to inspire to help the Soviets, uh, like the Cambridge Five. Um, but in the, the Americans, they will do it for money, but then you've still got to find the Americans will be willing to do it and supply the information whereas with electronic spying you do that remotely you can do that from your own home so, so russia to speak. are
0: renowned to, for their human spying, but are they as advanced with their, and they're very effective at that by the way, are they also as advanced with electronic spying?
1: Probably not. It's very difficult to work out just how good they are, but we assume the Americans are the best because they spend so much money on it. So we assume the Americans are good uh, but the, we know that the Russians have also been looking at this. Uh, so, yes, the Russians would also be spending up big. So you've also got, therefore, a Russian intelligence offensive. You've got a Chinese intelligence offensive. Everybody spies on everybody else. Uh, that's the way that politics is conducted. It's the real world of politics, right? It's not the polite stuff that you get to hear about. It, this is the real world of politics where one country spies on another. So impolite. I mean, we're taught
0: as kids, Keith, you just don't spy, do you? No, and in
1: fact, there's a very famous American diplomat who said that uh, he would not permit funding for an American intelligence agency because governments do not spy on other governments, do not open the mail of other governments.
0: But yet it goes on so much. Uh, Exactly. So it's like being friends with someone but then bitching about them as soon as they turn away.
1: Or at least putting a a, a plant on them To find out exactly what they're doing. So, And then remember, this is one of the issues that we're now getting in the United States. I'm sure you get it elsewhere, that you've got people who work for NSA who are using NSA equipment to monitor their husbands or wives or girlfriends or boyfriends just because they don't trust them.
0: But they could never actually admit that though, could they? No, they get sacked.
1: They don't go to trial. They just get sacked.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Spying. Who knew? Absolutely. All right. Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Another fascinating episode. Thank you as always, Keith. Global Truths is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.